Welcome to episode number 131 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, our sixth episode in our Women in Civil Engineering series, I will be talking to Philippa Jefferis, who is a senior consultant and engineer at IMC Worldwide. Philippa is going to be talking about working in the international development field, the challenges that civil engineers tackle, and kind of the context in which we do it. And this is a good topic because a lot of our listeners are always asking about international experience. But what's really cool about this episode is that Philippa really wants to change the world as a civil engineer, and she is. She's currently working on the construction of a roadway that will connect two communities in Nepal that will have massive societal impacts. Right now, if people want to get from one of these communities to the other, they walk for days. And soon they will be able to just make a short drive, really just drive there and be there in hours. And she's going to tell us all about that. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and now travel the world helping engineers. And at the Engineering Management Institute, we've developed hundreds of free podcast episodes, which you can find on our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and on iTunes and YouTube. Now, before we get started, this is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode. A big thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, CMBHR Consulting, a privately owned full-service staffing and recruitment firm specializing in placing civil engineers, including structural, bridge, water resources, and stormwater. CMBHR Consulting is headquartered in Houston, Texas, with clients throughout the U.S. and globally. CMBHR Consulting connects their solutions with companies' problems. They pride themselves on building a firm with respect and trust, both for their clients and the excellent candidates they place through integrity, hard work, and honesty. I'll tell you more about our new sponsor, CMBHR Consulting, a little later on in the episode. Also, a quick reminder, the next session of our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, this is people skills training for young and aspiring engineering managers starts in mid-February 2020. You can check out all the details and get enrolled at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. If you click on the right side, there's a page where individuals can register and you can also get a letter that you can send to your supervisor to seek reimbursement. 90% of our participants have been reimbursed by their companies. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about our guest for this episode, Philippa Jeffress, because her story is a big part of this episode. After graduating with a first-class degree in civil engineering with industrial experience, Philippa completed the Amy Management Graduate Scheme, a rotational scheme where she gained experience with a wide range of business areas, including project management, rail, structural engineering maintenance, and business improvement, working closely with the business director for Amy's Consulting Highways. She now works for IMC Worldwide, getting to put into practice her passion for engineering and helping to improve lives. And that's what she really talks about in this episode. She spent a year and a half working on implementing an improved water distribution system in Freetown, Sierra Leone, funded by the UK Department for International Development. She is now based in Nepal, working on the construction 
of a road between the rural districts of Mugu and Humla, which you are going to hear all about momentarily. Philippa strongly believes in promoting engineering to a wider audience, and in particular, a STEM ambassador ensuring awareness of engineering is increased in school education. So here she is. Let's jump right in. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest for today, Philippa Jeffress. Philippa is a civil engineer specializing in transportation or highway projects. She's working internationally, which is exciting because we haven't had many guests on the podcast talking about international work. So, Philippa, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here and to connect across continents as well. Yeah, for sure. Excited to have you. I'm excited because this is another episode of our Women in Civil Engineering series and also one that we have someone from outside the U.S., which is exciting to me. So before we do anything else, Philippe, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell them a little bit about your background and your career journey. As you said, I'm a civil engineer and I specialize in highways. I'm British and uh, trained in the UK, worked there for a number of years, and then had a slight career dilemma. I kind of saw my entire future ahead of me and it wasn't all that exciting. As much as there was job security in the industry, there wasn't kind of anything to get me out of bed on a Monday morning. Through a friend of a friend, I started discussing like, what did I want to do? And he suggested the company that I now work for. And I sort of went for an interview. And that's how I ended up working in the international sector because I wanted to get back to the true side of engineering. So now my engineering, I have to admit, has really come back to what I consider the critical elements of civil engineering that brings us back to like right back to where we, we all started, but we perhaps have forgotten in say America and the UK. It's that engineering can change lives and it, it can be right at your doorstep changing your life. You felt like you needed something to get you more excited about what you did. The work that I was doing was interesting. I was working in cycleways and design, you know, at the forefront of doing sustainability. And it's something that's really critical in the UK market. But I just felt like the, the direction that my career was going and perhaps the industry, there wasn't that level of interest and investment from maybe the governments that were funding the work that I was doing. I had like an uphill battle, um, no pun intended. Like I can do cycleways that go uphill, but I felt like there wasn't their engagement and I'm really passionate about what we can achieve. And yet my clients there weren't so engaged, whereas I now work on a different side of it where there is definitely much more engagement in the industry. Right now you're working in Nepal on a project that we're going to get into in a minute, but is it the international and like the travel and that aspect of it that you also like as well and what you do now? Yeah. I mean, this is a brilliant opportunity for me to explore and get to see the world and actually be part of a community. I love going on holiday and, and exploring new cultures and meeting new people, but I am fully embedded and living in a country different from my own. And that brings with it its own challenges and expectations. So I'm working with different colleagues and I'm learning loads of things from them because they just come at it with a completely different perspective to them what I used to do. That's great. So tell us about the project you're working on now. Sure. So I'm working on a, it's part of a rural access program. It's funded by the British government and my company has the contract to build, well, we've built a number of roads, but primarily we're focusing on one road called the Mugu Humla Link Road. It's a 67 kilometer road and basically it's in the furthest northwest part of Nepal. For those who maybe are scratching to find a, a map and work out where Nepal is, it's north of India 
and south of China. So strategically, it's in between some really quite big powerhouses in terms of the country. But historically, it's held its own. But it's in the Himalayas. My construction site starts at a point above sea level that is higher than any point that is in the UK. So I'm already, you know, based in Kathmandu, the city, the capital city of Nepal is 1,400 meters above sea level. But my construction site is 2,000 meters above sea level and goes up to over 4,000 meters. So it's some really challenging terrain. And the people there are primarily farmers and the kind of the two regions that we're linking. One of them has never had any road access to the rest of the country. So I was in the vehicle, the first ever car to be driven from the rest of Nepal into Mugu. So it's this first time of driving in. When I talk about being like at the forefront and really on people's doorsteps, like there was a gentleman there, he was in his 80s. He'd never seen a car before. And there we are turning up with a car. So it's completely different to anything that I did in the UK. And that's why I kind of get really passionate about it because it's back to what engineering was always about of, of really kind of changing people's lives. When you say impacting communities, I mean, certainly when someone's seeing a car for the first time when they're 80, I think that that's, I'm sure you feel great about that in terms of being on that project site and being a part of that. You talked about the terrain. We were supposed to do this interview a couple of weeks back, and I know that there was some rain and there was some really disastrous roadway conditions. Talk to us about the terrain and how that's been challenging for the project in general. I'm very grateful that we could reschedule because uh, sometimes it's a lesson I've learned in this job is things don't always go to plan. And basically, my flight was due to fly back. There's a the regional airport that we fly into. We fly in in a 15-seater airplane. It's proper tiny. And when you first see the runway, you think, is that it? Where's the rest of the runway? <laughs> <laughs> but it's the only part of that area that's actually got any blacktop. It's been tarmac. So as a civil engineer, you kind of come in and go, well, that's a nice runway. But that's the last time you see tarmac for the rest of the week kind of thing. And we're talking hilly and steep terrain, but also three months of the year, it's raining from the monsoon. And three months of the year, part of our project site is buried under snow. We're not dealing with proper, decent, sealed roads here. This is earthen roads. So, I mean, it's mud. It's compacted mud. And then you've got the challenge of water flooding down that and just ruining all your hard work. So... The environment is perhaps against us a lot of the time. <laughs> I'm sure there are many civil engineers listening to this episode saying they were upset about not being able to access the site for 24 hours because of rain or something. And now they're feeling probably pretty good about their geographical limits. Let's talk about that in general, because also like, I think in terms of scheduling, talk about how that could impact scheduling. So it's funny because I, I compare it to like my life in the UK and friends of mine who are working there. So in London, it's such a congested place that we've developed this just-in-time construction. So you have everything arrive at the moment that you're going to use it. You haven't got the space to store anything. In the complete reverse of that, because we don't have road access to our site quite a lot of the year, the majority of the work is done by labor, but we have 11 excavators working and we needed to keep the fuel supplies there for them. So we ended up storing 90,000 liters of fuel over the monsoon period. So definitely not just in time delivery. This is, oh my goodness, I have a highly dangerous substance. Where am I going to store it? How am I going to make sure that I've got enough? And also, how am I getting it there? Because the river level is too high now, so we can't drive across the river anymore. The bridge isn't there yet. So we've actually, there's a ropeway system owned by a private guy that owns it, and he ships the barrels across for us. So 
yeah, there's been some intense times where you go, I've got to really think this through and really know what I'm trying to do in the next few months so that I'm prepared and ready. Because there's not a kind of supplier at the other end of the phone that I go, could you just bring in an extra couple of liters of fuel? That's not an option. Philippa, what is your specific role on the project? So I am the safeguard and compliance manager, which means that I work with a number of Nepalese engineers because I come from a British background. I bring in um, more of a focus on the safety and the constructability elements and making sure that we are compliant to the design standards that in place in Nepal, but also I'm compliant to the criteria that is set by the UK government who fund the project because they the whole idea is that we're actually building capacity here and education as well. So I need to be making sure that we do it in best practice. And we're actually, it's a, an education as much as a, a project to just build the road. That's great. Now, can you talk about Nepal a little bit as a people, the community there, the people there, you're entrenched there, you're living there, you're working there. This is new for a lot of them. How are they handling this? How are they impacting you in terms of living there and your relationship with them? Talk a little bit about them. I have to admit, it's a wonderfully welcoming place. I encourage anyone to come and visit. Actually, I'll be in trouble if I don't mention it's Nepal 2020 visit Nepal next year. So definitely a time to come visit. The people here, there is a a kind of a culture and the best way I can describe it is actually using the Nepali phrase, which is Kegani, or what can you do? And I come from a very British regimented approach where I have a lot of things I can do and I've planned it out. And that was my training in my engineering training. I've come here and I work with some fantastic engineers, but they have a very different approach as to how things are going to work out. And if something goes wrong, it's, well, it was going to happen. Like, why are you getting stressed by it? I guess there's a compromise to be had because sometimes actually if you let things roll out a bit more, you go, oh, okay, now I see where this is going. And they know their environment better than I do. I can't come in and dictate. But at the same time, it's, there is a much more relaxed approach to say, oh, well, it's not quite to the design standards. Like, why do we need to have a radius of 12 meters for this hairpin bend? And I'm going, well, because that's one, the design standards, but also because we want to build something that lasts. It may work for now with the, the mule train. So like the donkeys that transport a lot of the goods. Sure, they can get around that radius of the bend. But if we want to bring buses in and they've got to go around these roads, that's why we need to bring in those standards. My biggest challenge is sometimes going, am I being too uptight about this? Or because actually it is a challenging environment and we won't achieve perfection. But at the same time, maybe my colleagues uh, can join me a little bit on that. No, okay. We don't have to just say, Kegani. We actually have got something that we can do. Do you rely on local engineers or professionals from the region there to help you with some of the terrain or other issues that you might just need information about? So we have, um, the design was carried out by local Nepalese engineers, and they are still working with us during construction. They're the ones who best know the situation, but also how to manage the labor force and the kind of the culture there. I can make assumptions and I can start to get a feel, but when certain things happen, when there's people who get sort of disenfranchised with the work, they have a much better understanding of why, why that might be the case. We're actually also then working with the professional engineering institution here in Nepal to help them provide the PNG registration for Nepalese engineers. Some of our engineers are going to be the first to kind of go through that process because we want them to be recognized for the great skills and knowledge that they actually have. 
Wow. So you really are doing a lot of kind of first things over there in Nepal, which is very exciting. You're a, obviously a woman in the field of civil engineering, which is what this series is about. And, you know, you're obviously have taken some big risks in your career in terms of a lot of traveling, putting yourself really out of your comfort zone in a whole nother country. Talk about how handling that as a woman has been for you in a field that there are a lot more men than women, even though we're making progress on that. What are your thoughts on that in general? We're absolutely making progress. And I'm optimistic, you know, that we can make a change. When my dad was studying engineering, there was one woman on his course. When I was studying, there were 10. So progress is being made. But I think actually there are challenges faced, even more so maybe in the international field, because there are certain progress sort of steps that we've made in the UK and sort of in the Western world where you almost take for granted that people understand that there are gender challenges and that we need to promote it. Here, when you have that conversation, it's understood, but perhaps the way I interact with some of my colleagues, they might be a bit, it is still new to them for me to turn up one, because I'm, I'm a Westerner turning up in their country, telling them, oh, well, you should do it this way. But two, because I am female. It's a challenge because you're very conscious of who you are the whole time. And you want to make sure that you're not offending or you're actually bringing someone on board, but at the same time, you still have a job to deliver. So I find that the best thing is I take a lot more time to step back and listen and hear my colleagues out. And I can't be as pushy as I would be, say, in the UK, because they're not ready for that pushiness. It's been a lesson in nudging and nudge tactics. And, you know, I come in all fiery, like women independence, I can do this just as much as anyone else. And then you have to go, well, hang on, how does that come across and how is that perceived? Because that's actually very, very different culturally to what would have normally happened here. It comes with its challenges. I also think that I I then can bring a different perspective that has definitely not necessarily been seen here as much. So our labor force, uh, we have a target that 33% of our labor force should be women. There's an understanding here, and I mean, that's set by the British government as a target but it's also understood as, as with our labor. But actually considering menstrual health, which I never thought I'd have to consider as an engineer, apart from possibly my own, but my labor force, we've actually provided workshops to help the women make their own reusable sanitary pads. And for me, that's something that makes me realize how much engineering and like the way that we interact with our workforce, we need to think wider about if we're going to diversify this workforce, You've got to go into people's personal lives and consider their their health and things that you wouldn't have otherwise considered because you're engineers, you're just doing the design. To give us a little bit more background, in Nepal, there's a practice, a chapaldri practice, where women, when they were menstruating, would be uh, expected to go into the, the cow shed and not interact with society for a week. That practice has been kind of broken down, but there's still that taboo. And we've been trying to help our laborers go, hey, here's an actual a tool and support to say, no, you can also still come to work. You know, you can still engage. And those are the sort of things that you need. I don't think any of my male engineers colleagues would have been so comfortable about discussing. They are very comfortable about it now. And it's nice to have that kind of openness. And we talk about it in meetings and they were part of the workshops and they've been there, but that's something that wouldn't have been there five, 10 years ago. I mean, two years ago, we didn't have that. And it's, it's those sort of things that I think we can bring in that slightly different perspective shift. Philippa, you're doing a lot of awesome things in terms of new things or breaking down barriers and 
creating new opportunities for communities, for individuals, which is sounds like the reason you wanted to take on this job when you started it. So it's certainly a great thing to hear that. Just last question before we jump into our hot seat segment, I want to ask you about what would you say to civil engineers that are in their jobs and they're considering pursuing international work, kind of pushing themselves a little bit and getting out of their day-to-day where they live, but maybe taking a risk like you took? What would your message be to them? I've got no regrets, but at the same time, it is a big challenge. And be prepared to be challenged in ways that you never thought you'd be challenged. That's not to say don't do it, but also while I was at university, I studied with Engineers Without Borders with a, a, a charity that was part of my student movement. So I'd had some engagement with international development and an understanding of the sort of the context and the, the knowledge that you need to have while working in development. It's having appropriate technology. I'm not doing anything fancy or shiny. I'm not going to build the world's tallest building or anything, but it's that appropriateness of the technology. And so maybe start looking into some TED Talks. Hans Rosling does some amazing talks on sort of development, but also there are organizations. I know in the UK, it's called Red R UK. So they're the kind of um, disaster relief engineers that go in and you can sign up and be on their register. And if a natural disaster happens, you can go out and, and support with your engineering skills. And that's a great sort of way of getting into that industry and starting to get a feel for it. Because a lot of it does come down to mistakes have been made before in development through engineering. And we need to make sure that we are training ourselves and our own personal career development is looking at going, why are we going overseas? What are our reasons? And making sure it's, it's for the right reasons for the people that we're then fundamentally helping at the end of the day have a look at some courses, go and do some training and, and get a, a bit of an exposure because you think you're going to be in for a culture shock and you can never be ready for the, the level of culture shock you might face. we we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back in a minute. We're going to put Philippa on the civil engineering hot seat. So stick with us. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. Now it's time to put Philippa Jeffress on the civil engineering hot seat. But before we do that, I would like to once again recognize our sponsor for this episode, CMBHR Consulting. CMBHR Consulting, the people, people are a global executive search and consulting firm that specializes in diverse placements of engineering in the heavy civil and water resources industries. CMBHR Consulting provides a full service menu of staffing solutions, including direct contract and temporary staffing. CMBHR Consulting is passionate and dedicated in providing you with highly skilled professionals well-matched to your needs. They have designed their HR consulting services with the small business in mind. However, they are scalable enough to also meet the needs of very large organizations. Since safety is first in the world of engineering, CMBHR Consulting only works with organizations who are safety-focused and have exceptional safety records. They have over 20 years of recruiting and human resources expertise, including talent search, skilled marketing, pre-employment, training and development, and onboarding, and a clear understanding of how each of these processes work. They have an engaging perspective, high energy, and a results-driven attitude. They understand the needs of organizations and the clients they work with and design strategies that fit. If you need help filling your open positions or help with getting your organization off the ground, Visit their website at www.cmbhrconsulting.com. CMBHR Consulting is currently searching 
for a four to eight year experience senior structural engineer and project engineer in San Francisco and a five year experience civil engineer in Hartford, Connecticut. The San Francisco positions requires an SE license and the Hartford position requires a PE license. All right, we're back with Philippa Jeffers. Philippa is a British civil engineer now working on a very interesting project in Nepal that we talked about a bit. But now, Philippa, we're going to focus on your career. Are you ready for some hot seat questions? Absolutely. Bring it on. First question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or lunchtime routine or something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success as a professional? I'd love to have a morning routine, but I'm, I'm not a morning person. But the one thing I try to do before I go to bed, I have a diary that it's a five-year diary. So you write all of three sentences for each day. And it's one, it helps me kind of process what I did today so that I don't then lie there in bed processing it and not getting to sleep. But also it's really interesting to then see back, like I'm into the third year now and go, oh, like last year I was really stressed and worried about this. And now I take that in my stride. It's really lovely to just have that momentary reflection and be like, oh, and and some days it's very boring and I didn't do anything. But other days you go, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's so easy now. And it's really nice to have that reminder of how far you've progressed. All right. Next one. What is one book that you might recommend to engineers or just one book in general that you found to be extremely helpful in your professional or even personal development efforts? That's a challenging one because there are lots of good books out there and I kind of flick through. I've just finished reading Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong. So (laughs) maybe not so much for the engineering aspect, but it was a really interesting read. Basically, how preconceived notions can change our biases. So maybe not so much as engineers, but the scientists that are in all engineers need to be a bit wary of what what are our our preconceived notions that might actually skew our results in the end. So I think inferior is worth a read. Next question. You've undoubtedly had different managers or supervisors throughout your career that you've worked for. If you were to look back and, and I'm not asking you to name any names, but just thinking about them, if you were to think of your favorite manager, one of your favorite managers, what made them your favorite? What kind of characteristics or things that they did? My favorite manager, um, one used to send us a quote every Friday, a sort of an inspirational quote, but a little bit of a, not just live, love, laugh or whatever, but actually something a bit more gritty as an inspirational quote. But it was that someone who then challenged me to think a bit differently and keep progressing. I like the fact that in one of your other podcasts, you're talking about how you feel it's a duty of civil engineers to continue to grow. And that's what I completely agree with. And having a manager who believes that as well. And then also almost as I describe it as the sand in an oyster that creates the pearl. It's going to be really irritating to that oyster and they must almost drives them insane. But at the end of it, you get a pearl. There's going to be someone, your manager might not be your best friend. They might drive you and irritate you because they remind you you haven't done what you should be doing. But if it's in the path that you better yourself, then that's the best kind of manager. All right. I got one last question for you, Philippa. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you were to get into an elevator with a civil engineer for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and you had to give him or her some kind of career advice what would it be in that short period of time? Find someone like a mentor or a coach who can support you. Uh, They don't have to be an engineer either. If anything, probably better not to be an engineer, but find someone who's in your corner 
I think engineers, we're supposed to be team players, but a lot of the time it then does come down to just the one individual and that can be quite lonely. So if you can find someone that's in your corner that you can bounce ideas off who you don't need to articulate yourself in any particular way, but they understand you when you go, oh, I've had one of those, you know, and they know what's happened, that can bring so much clarity and help you through your day. So find someone that can understand your grunts and mumbles. <laughs> so how long is this project in Nepal anticipated to last for? So construction should be, if all goes to plan, uh, finished in June next year, and then it will be a case of handover. And we've also got a maintenance component. So coming behind this, just because we built it doesn't mean it will last. So then it will be starting to look at how do we help government maintain this because it's their asset to maintain. From June, the road will be built and hopefully we can drive the full length. So reducing a three and a half day walk down to probably about a four to five hour drive. And then it will be yeah, on with maintenance, which the less sexy bit of engineering, but just as important. And so is your plan right now to stay there till it's constructed? Is that the plan? Yeah, I really want to see this through to the end. It's like, it would be so satisfying to sort of see the changes that we've made. So uh, yeah, I will definitely be here till June or at least till it's constructed. And then after that, there's plenty of other places in the world that, that need engineers. So who knows where our next. Philippa, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. I think you really have reminded us that civil engineering is really about making positive change to the world, like big time changes to the world. And you just said it yourself there about how you're able to help people now no longer have to take a three and a half day walk. It'll be more of a four to five hour drive when this project is finished. And those are things that a lot of civil engineers, what got them into civil engineering, right? The ideas around projects like that. So thank you so much for taking some time out of, well, out of your evening now, because you had a long day of work already. Appreciate it so much. And not only for coming on the podcast, but for speaking about you know being a woman as a civil engineer as part of this series, which we're trying to really highlight women in civil engineering. I'm so glad that we found you. So thank you for doing this. No, well, thank you for doing this because I've, I've been enjoying listening to your podcast and the, the episodes that I'm hearing. So it's great to hear and be able to engage with other engineers across the world. The technology is there. So let's build this network. We'll be sure to check in with you going forward. And maybe once the project's done, we can do another follow-up episode. Absolutely. And if you fancy flying out, I'll happily drive you down the length of the road. All right, Felipe. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today with Felipe. It is really inspiring to think about the effects that you can have as a civil engineer on the world as a whole. And Felipe is one really shining example of that. And I'm so thrilled that we were able to connect. She's very busy with the travel and the internet connection and some of her locations may not be great, but she came on and she really, I think, did a great job kind of representing the profession, which is what she does so well. This whole series, our Women in Civil Engineering series, has been amazing in that the response has been overwhelming. We can't even keep up with all the women that have been nominated. And the social media response has also been great with people sharing it. And you can see most of these episodes as well on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. Now, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 131. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And we are also going to post some photos there of the project that Philippa was referencing. 
And remember to check out our upcoming session of the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. This is people skills training for young and aspiring engineering managers, the most important skills you will need to succeed. The next live session starts in mid-February 2020, or you can take the on-demand session starting today. You can check out all the details and get enrolled at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.